Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first three verses. And the title of the message is Trusting Christ, Not the Flesh. Philippians 3, verse 1, I'm reading from the modern King James Version. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is indeed not grievous to me, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision party. I think King James just says concision. English Standard Version says those who mutilate the flesh. That's what concision is, mutilating the flesh, cutting the flesh. Verse 3, and this is pretty much what we're going to concentrate on the message, is verse 3. Paul writing to these believers at the church of Philippi, he says, for or because we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. I think I mentioned many times that I'm very thankful that the word of God is constantly making contrasts and distinctions. And those, what they do, they are a form of logical argumentation so that you can actually get to the bottom of an issue and find answers. Because if you don't make distinctions or contrasts, all you have is cloudy thoughts, it's vague. People walk away, what was said? And the more distinctions you put out there, the clearer it becomes. And God in his wisdom, through the inspiration of the Spirit, the scripture uses these constantly throughout. Paul uses a lot of them, of course, and he does here in our text. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're guided by this language, this type of language, so we can be sure and certain that we're on the correct path. And that's what the word safe, and we'll get to that in a minute, has to do with. So distinctions, they clarify and they demystify. And they help us also, I believe, they help us remember doctrinal concepts. The Apostle Paul here in chapter 3, this chapter has been very valuable to me. A lot of people that believe like we do use it, especially after the verses that we're going to be looking at. They usually don't quote the first three verses. But a lot of times they'll talk about Paul's resume and false religion, talk about what he did in times past and how that he rejected that when he came to know Christ. But there are some good things in these first three verses here. And you know, I want to say we did Philippians. It's been over 10 years ago. So it is safe to remind you of some of these things. We're always bringing up these type things. I've quoted some of these verses, one through three in the, last, in the past year, I know for certain. Last week, we looked at Psalm 12, and after the recording was over, a discussion came up about the last verse in Psalm 12. So a lot of people would seem out of place. And I have the habit of what the psalmist did in that verse, going back over, bringing back up a contrasting idea. And when I saw that, and there was some discussion about it, I, I felt pretty good. I, I didn't feel like I was overdoing it because that's what was done right there. And, and Paul says the same thing here in 
these verses and we'll, we'll see as we go. So he shows that the believer's certainty and assurance will place them on the right path as he uses some of these words. And we're going to look at a lot of words. We're going to turn to a lot of scriptures. Some of them are one-liners. I'm just going to quote them for you. I'll give you the reference so you don't have to turn to everything. But let's look at that verse 1 there. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you indeed is not grievous to me, but for you it is safe. And the word safe there means sure or certain. So it, it's connected to an assurance idea. Not necessarily the assurance of our salvation, but the assurance of what he's saying and reiterating and contrasting and making distinctions about it's good for your spiritual brain because you come to some conclusions and you, you move forward with it in growth. I noticed that uh, this is a self-testimony here of Paul that he made it a practice to do a lot of uh, repetitive teaching, to review things. And we know he wrote letters to churches more than once and a lot of times went over the same things. And he says that he does it, he does it readily and not reluctantly. That's what he's saying in this uh, passage here. Now notice there's a distinction being made in the very first verse, first phrase in the verse. It says rejoice in the Lord. Now, there's a difference between somebody that's just puts a smile on their face and is happy and they're positive. Even an unbeliever can do that. There's a difference in somebody being a motivational speaker, a power, positive thinking type person. And a gospel preacher that makes this distinction on how we are to rejoice in the Lord. So there's a distinction made there. Paul just didn't say rejoice, period. Rejoice in the Lord. So the Lord is our source of joy, just like we talked about last week, about how that there are so many things that are going on in our life that seem to drag us down and, and uh, crush us. But there's one thing that never changes. It's the joy that we have in the Lord knowing that he saved us, he's gave himself for us, and that we're secure, and that his righteousness is imputed to us, and sin cannot be charged to us. So that's the only way we can really consistently rejoice, no matter what's going on around us. We brought up uh, Lazarus the beggar. We brought up Job, Paul. How many beatdowns did he receive as he was persecuted for preaching the gospel? Well, he was able to rejoice in the Lord. The word rejoice is used again later, but this is a different word. The word here rejoice means to be full of cheer, to be happy or well off. And it's often used as a, a salutation, a greeting or, or something when you're actually leaving. Either way, it's like be well, uh, Godspeed, farewell. You know, farewell doesn't just mean goodbye. The word fair is there. It's like, you know, it's a positive thing. So that's the way this, this word is used. Now, later on in the, in the book, you don't have to turn there, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, and it's just the same word, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So he's redundant there. And he's clear again to say, in the Lord always. Why is that? Well, <laughs> the gospel doesn't change, right? Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there is our source of joy. Look at verse 2. Beware of dogs, 
Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilators of the flesh, the concision party. Now, dogs here, Paul's talking about really what he used to be involved with because that's what he's getting ready to talk about, his past history and false religion. So he knows he's been there. He was a Pharisee. And this is just talking about the Judaizers. The Jews commonly considered the Gentiles to be unclean, and they sometimes would call them dogs. And uh, Paul's kind of like turning that thing around right here. Go ahead and turn to, uh, keep your place there, and turn to Matthew 15. Wants to see uh, some things here. I, there were a lot of things about this dog issue that uh, I want us to look at. I think it's important. Matthew 15 and verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan, coming out of these borders, cried to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. That's some compassion there, isn't it? Disciples, good job. But he answered. He said, I am not sin except to lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Saying same thing, have mercy on me, basically. And he answered and said, and this is why I brought us here. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Some people might think, man, that's awful mean of the sinless son of God to say that. Well, he's, he's drawing something out of her. He's teaching everybody a lesson, both Jews and Gentiles, that read this from here on out. And she said, true. She said, I pretty much know I'm totally depraved. I'm a sinner. I came to save sinners, right? That's why I'm talking to you, right? She said, true, O Lord. But even the little dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She's pretty slick, wasn't she? I mean, she didn't say that just out of her flesh, out of her human wisdom. She's been illuminated here. And then Jesus answered to her and said, O woman, great is your faith. So be it to you, even as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, more than likely, Nicodemus, you know the story in John chapter 3, who also was a Pharisee, he had that idea, salvations of the Jews. Gentiles are dogs, they're unclean. And Christ uh, came and talked to him about the new birth and about faith in him. He was clueless. He was clueless about earthly things. He had a PhD in religion, and he was a dummy about earthly things. Christ pretty much told him that. And then in verse 16, everybody knows John 3, 16, he kind of clears this thing up about Gentile dogs that are elect. For God so loved the world, the nations, the, the, the Gentiles, the heathen, and, and some would say dog. Like us. We're just dogs begging, licking our master's hand, needing some food. That he loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So 
Christ made a distinction here, which we know false religion takes the word world, and they don't make a distinction. They make it general. But it's a distinction here that Christ made with the word world. He was distinguishing nations from the Jewish nation. I mean, we could go all day about the love of God and make those distinctions even further, but I think we've been there. We'll go there again sometime. So Paul here in our text, he calls these dogs those that actually returned to Judaism. These were Jews that claimed they believed in Christ. Remember the church of Galatia, what was going on there? These ones that crept in, they didn't say, hey, we're Judaizers. We don't believe in Christ. We believe in Christ and circumcision, dietary laws, and special days. So that's why Paul was bringing this up. They, they had uh, apostatized and brought in this heresy. And he's telling these the church of Philippi, watch out, beware of these people that do this. He was pretty much saying what Peter said in 2 Peter 2.22. He said, uh, as the dog returns to its vomit. And that's what these Judaizers had done. They had, they had gone back, just like the, the writer of the Hebrews warned about going back and leaning on the arm of the flesh and trusting in your works. Let me quote you um, a few more verses here. You don't have to turn there. This is Matthew 7, 6. Do not give that which is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. We're used to hearing that part of it, casting your pearls before swine. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and tear you. King James says rend you, but it's it's just an attack. You know? Revelation 22.15 says, but outside, referring to outside the gates of the city, are dogs, sorcerers, and the fornicators, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and makes a lie. These dogs that Paul is talking about, they love a lie and they make a lie. They're in our um, <clears throat> same book there, in our same chapter that we're looking at. Look at verse 18, Philippians 3.18. <coughs> For many are walking whom I have told you often and tell you even weeping as the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, those who mind earthly things. Their glory was in their shame. Paul in verses 4 through 10, talked about his past shame, how that he listed all these things that he was proud of as a religious person that he's now ashamed of. And he knows these type people, and he's weeping about it. Weeping, I believe, could be for two reasons, for the care of the people he's dealing with, like, please don't be deceived by these people. And weeping for them, the enemies of the cross, like in uh, Romans 9, how he said that he would like to exchange his soul for, for that nation, those kindred of his that were still back in false religion. And uh, he, he prayed in, in chapter 10, the first part, that they would be saved. 
So Paul was into compassionate, sincere evangelism without compromise. Now let's look at verse 3. Here's why we came here. Um, the first part here says, for or because, let me, let me just address one more thing uh, before I go on. I didn't have a note on this, but I earlier I thought I better remember to talk about this. Beware of evil workers. He's associating dogs, evil workers, and the concision party. All three, it's talking about the same thing there. Evil workers. This is talking about the evil of self-righteousness. The evil of self-justification. The evil of glorying in the flesh. These are evil works, wicked works. A lot of times you'll, you'll hear Christ talk, you hear Paul talk, Peter, James, John. They'll talk about wickedness. And a lot of times people automatically, their mind goes to, especially if you have any religious background, your mind goes to, you know, shooting up drugs, uh, prostitution, homosexuality, killing, which those are evil. But I would say the majority of the times, I'm going to go out on him here and say the majority of the times, it's talking about the evil of false religion and self-righteousness. So as you read things in their context, we're going to look at Romans 8 in just a little while, and it's going to deal with that, and we'll see when we get there. Now, in verse 3, it starts out, For or because we are the circumcision. And we're going to turn to a few scripts. Go to Romans 2.28. So you're familiar with some of these, but to remind you of these things is not grievous to me. And for you, it is safe. So we're going to be reminded of these things. Romans 2.28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that outwardly in flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision of the heart. This the same. It's the idea of the mind. It's talking about God giving you a new mind. In the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. This is talking about the promise in the Old Testament of a new covenant I'll make with you. I'll give you, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to, I'm going to change your mind. So it's talking about regeneration. And it's talking about the eyes of faith. And, and, and also when we talk about new mind, we're talking about a change of mind, which is involved Repentance is involved there. So we have now the, the mind of Christ, as it says in Corinthians, to be able to now think like him when we couldn't before. We are taught by God, and now we glory in Christ and his work. So we, we couldn't do that before. Impossibility. We could only glory in our own flesh. So this is talking about regeneration. This is talking about spiritual Israel. National Israel does not matter anymore. Done. Has nothing to do with the kingdom promises, anything to do with it. Dispensationalism, the most popular eschatology, promotes Zionism. It promotes that there are two types of people that God will accept. It's believers and then somehow still hang on to the Jews for whatever reason. That doctrine I was glad to get out of is probably a month or two after I was converted. Some people helped me out of that pretty quick. It was easy to see. I mean, all I had to do is be directed to the scriptures. And I don't know the false preachers in the past when they would come to these things. I guess they skipped them. I don't know. 
I don't, I don't remember back then, but this is talking about spiritualism. We're going to see some more as we go. Galatians 2.28 is another similar idea. Galatians 2.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is no male nor female. Let me stop there a second. Now notice this. Paul, what he's doing here, he's eventually going to make a distinction. But here, the first few lists of things, he's erasing the distinctions. The Holy Spirit in in his wisdom spoke this to us. Not to confuse us, but to teach us. So there is a way to erase distinctions, to make a distinction. And that's exactly what he's doing here. The second half of the verse says, for you are all one. That's that's the distinction. You're not separate. There's other things we're separated. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, if, if he's your master, if he's your shepherd, you're owned by him, you're bought with a price, then your Abraham's seed has nothing to do with the physical seed, right? Nothing to do with a nation. Nothing to do with a bloodline. You're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise of the everlasting covenant. The promise of the gospel. Salvation is conditioned on Christ alone. And you are in this thing by faith and not by blood or generations, genealogy, tradition. So here again, it's talking about spiritual Israel. That's all that matters. National Israel, physical Israel, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're over there right now. They're just There wasn't such thing as Israel or Jerusalem. I know they call that the holy land. <laughs> no, nothing holy about any land anymore. That's baloney. Rumpke Dump is right down the road. It's just as holy as that place over there. And that place might be worse because of the way people look upon it. In, in, in a self-righteous evil way to raise it up to eclipse the glory of Christ. Now, each one of these points, we could do a probably separate message on each point, but we've got to move along. Number two, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Now, these things are connected. We just talked about spiritual Israel, right? So you can see the flow. We're going to have some overlap in some of these texts too, so. I challenge you to try to separate these texts and not have an overlap. It's going to happen. John 4, 23. John 4, 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the, look at the distinct language, true worshipers. Now, he uses that word true when he talks about himself, right? John 17, 3. Isaiah 46, 45, 40. These different texts that talk about, I'm God, there's none else. I'm the true God, all the other gods are false. This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God. So there's the distinction. That's what he's doing here too. When the true worshipers, not those that are fake worshiping, like that's all over the place, even back in Christ's day, you could see there was Jewish stuff on every corner. They were talking God. They were using Jehovah's name. But he makes the distinction here. 
True worshipers shall worship the Father in what? Spirit and in truth. And notice this here. This, this is who the Father's looking for, by the way. Not to be confused. I mean, he makes these people do this, but he's saying this is pretty much who he's reconciled with. This is who he's set up. His, he's uh, tabernacling among these people. And he enjoys the, the sacrifice of praise and worship from these people. Verse 24, God is spirit, and they who worship him, these would be the true worshipers, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, this is a verse here that, that guides our overall worship. Just the way we set up this room, for example. We don't have uh, crosses or shrines or candles or smoke or uh, outfits Spirit and truth. It's invisible stuff. It has to do with truth. Words. It's what Christ has said about himself. This is how we worship. This is a method in which we worship. So, you know, the megachurches with all their, their lights and their fog machines and their, their emotionally charged music, it's a supplement for what they can't get done in words, in truth. It's a stirring up the flesh. Here's a verse I'll just read, John 6, 63. It is the spirit that makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. I think it was Peter just a little bit later said, Christ said, you guys going to go away when everybody else took off? And he said, uh, where can we go? You have the words of life. Because they're spiritual words, they're true words. We looked at Psalm 12 last week. We talked about how that his word is pure. It's refined in the furnace seven times. Remember? It's pure. It's truth. God can't lie. Here's two verses here. John 16, 13. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. The Holy Spirit Christ said, he's not going to speak of himself. So what? what's that say? The charismatic movement? Done. It's all done. It's gone. Because they have a religion where the spirit speaks of himself. But whatever he hears, he shall speak. And he will announce to you things to come. Christ speaking again, he says, he will, the spirit, he will glorify me. For he will receive of mine, and I will announce it to you. So there is the, the tone of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How that the Holy Spirit does not talk about himself. His job is to come and, and talk about Christ. And here's a verse that I, I used back in the Lordship Salvation series. First uh, Corinthians 12.3 says, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse. Now, we know false religion, in their doctrine, they will heavily imply that. They won't come out and say that. But we look at their atonement, how their atonement failed. And all I can see is a curse of that false Christ. But it goes on and says, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord 
in a true way. Like he's the Lord, our righteousness. He's our sovereign Lord, absolute sovereign Lord. He's, he is the Lord, our righteousness. Nobody can say that, but by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to have done a work first in the heart. Just like we read there in, in Romans 2 about how the, the heart was changed. The heart of stone was taken out and a new heart put in. One circumcised of the heart. One that has come into this family of spiritual Israel. It's been transformed, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. A, a washing of regeneration through the means of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that the sheep <clears throat> hear Christ's voice. They follow him. And a stranger's voice they do not follow. So we're the circumcision, not them. They, they claim that they are controlling that, running that. They think they know about the law. They've brought that in as part of the law. They're sayers and not doers. We'll see some more of that as we go along. Thirdly, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. All right, the word rejoice is used here. We saw it was used up above, right? Rejoice in the Lord. This is a different original word, rejoice. This word has to do with boasting or glory or joy. It's a different word, as I said in verse 1. So that we're boasting or glorying in Christ Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, according as he hath chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Why did he do that? According to what? The good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory. Speaking of glory, it's related to the word rejoice we looked at. To the praise of the glory of his grace. This is none other than sovereign grace. It's clear in our text. It's the only kind of grace there is, by the way. In which, here's why I brought us here. That he made us accepted in the beloved, in Christ. This is why we rejoice in Christ. That is the only reason that we rejoice. It's because we're accepted in him. He doesn't accept us because of us. I can't, I can't be any clearer than that. He, he doesn't love me because of me. He loves me because of Christ. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.39 who are accepted in him. He's our representative. He's our mediator. Go ahead and turn to Galatians 6. In the middle here is probably one of my favorite verses. As many as desire to look well, what? In the flesh. He's setting it up here to, so we can be warned about the, the mutilators. These compel you to be circumcised. And before I go any further, we're not just talking about circumcision here. We're talking about any conditionalism, any works that are added to grace, any type of a meritorious conjuring up of things to be accepted, not in the beloved, but on our own. 
some type of a personal righteousness or a personal holiness that's apart from God can be put in the place and it'll work in this context. So when you hear circumcision and it's talking in the context about these Jews, you know, don't don't divorce your mind from these other things that's going on nowadays that we see all over the place. And here, he, this is pretty important here, what he says. I think this goes with 511 of the same book, My Memory Serves Me, right? Referring to the offense of the cross and persecution. As many as desire to look well in the flesh, these compel you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. See, if you say circumcision doesn't matter, it's actually detrimental if you're if you're counting on it, it's detrimental what's going to happen persecution from those dogs from the mutilators that are saying you got to be circumcised or you got to do that you got to you know keep a dietary law or you got to keep certain days or the other things that we're used to you got to walk down the aisle you got to pray a prayer you got to accept Jesus you got to use your free will you got to be baptized you got to Persevere in all these certain good works, and if your sanctification looks good in the end, then you're going to be uh, your justification looks good because you you did all the right things according to Paul Washer or, or Stephen Lawson or R.C. Sproul or John Pipe. Verse thirteen: For they themselves, having been circumcised, notice this: they don't they don't even keep the law. These these people are telling you to do this to be they don't even keep the law themselves. But they desire you to be circumcised so that they may be they can boast in your flesh. They're gathering up a team. They've convinced all these people. They got a big crowd that are believing what they're saying. You can boast and look look at we've even got some Gentiles. They've converted over to this rich tradition of our father Abraham and our buddy Moses and this that and the other. They're not even keeping the law. They can't. Nobody can. It's a curse, right? Verse fourteen. King James says, God forbid, it's, may it never be for me to glory. And this is the same word in our text of rejoice. To glory, except in one place. And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to cut to the chase, verse 16. This is, this is a rule right here. This is the rule of the new creature. The rule is you're only allowed glorying in one place. One. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I the world. We don't agree. I don't agree with the world. The world's enemies of the cross. The concision, these dogs, they're enemies of the cross. Paul talked about it in Philippians 3, down 18 and 19. We just read it. Enemies of the cross. Verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision has any strength that doesn't avail nor uncircumcision, but what does? A new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, the rule of glorying in only one spot, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever walks according to that rule, peace and mercy on them. Nobody else gets peace and mercy. I can't say peace and mercy to those that don't follow that rule. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Take not of the unclean thing, right? Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. In other words, don't be unequally yoked with people that don't follow this rule right here. 
of glorying only in the cross of Christ. Peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. That's us, the Israel of God. Spiritual Israel, the true circumcision. We are the circumcision who worship God in spirit and truth. Fourthly and lastly, and have no confidence in the flesh. Confidence here is to convince, to assent, to rely, to agree, to believe, be content, persuaded by, to yield or trust. We don't trust the flesh in this sense. What they're talking about is this this self-righteous reliance, our, our self-righteous fleshly mind that opposes the cross of Christ. We don't have any confidence in the flesh. Paul spends a lot of the rest of the chapter showing where he took his confidence out of the flesh by grace. We've experienced the same thing here that believe the gospel. In conclusion, let's go to Romans 8. Look at a few verses here and we'll, we'll end with this. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's going to make a distinction of who these people are. This is not a condition. This is a distinction. He's saying these are the ones who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He was a sacrifice. Talked about how that he rid our sin in Colossians uh, chapter 1 by that body. He went to the cross and wiped our slate clean, making us irreprovable, unblameable, and unchargeable by his death, by satisfying law and justice. Verse 4, so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Christ satisfied the law and imputed his merit to us. And by faith, we established the law, Romans 3, toward the end. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We don't, because we've been illuminated, we don't anymore lean on the arm of the flesh. We don't count on our own righteousness. We see we have none. We see the only one that we do have now is one that's been charged to our account, the very righteousness of Christ. He is our righteousness. So that is when we live by faith, that's what is ever before our mind. Our righteousness is Christ. For those who are according to the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. But they who are according to the spirit, mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, 
But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. You're God's enemy if you are carnally minded and you're walking after the flesh, walking self-righteously, trying to establish a righteousness of your own. You're God's enemy. You haven't been reconciled yet. They're at enmity against God because it is not subject. They're not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. They, they haven't been shown. This is the way we were before we were converted, and the non-elect will not be shown this. But we were shown that we could not keep that law, but yet that law needed to be kept, needed to be satisfied. Because God is holy, he's perfect, he demands absolute perfection only and always. So we have to get that righteousness from an outside source. So we see that our Savior came, obeyed the law, laid down his life for the penalty of the broken law. It is finished. Law and justice is satisfied. By faith, we zoom in there on that Christ who did that. He is the propitiation, the satisfaction of law and justice and God's wrath against us. And we are now at peace with God, reconciled, not having anything to do with our own. Nothing. Not in the past, not in the present, and not in the future. So then, they who are of the flesh cannot please God. Now this, this can't be talking about if you have a human body, you can't please God. That's not what flesh is talking about here. This is not talking about Every sin, because everybody that is a believer sins every day. But this is talking about this mindset that has not been convinced of the righteousness of Christ as being the only ground of salvation and receiving that by God-given faith, looking to him for all of our salvation. It's talking about those people that would reject that, which those are the dogs. Those are the enemies of the cross. Those are the ones that can't please God. We please God by faith. Hebrews 12, you know, the the first few verses. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Can we logically imply that with faith, we are pleasing God because we are seeing ourselves as accepted and beloved? That's what we're doing by faith. God gives us the eyes to see that and and reckon ourselves to be righteous in Christ. Verse 9, but you, he's talking to believers, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Again, you are the circumcision, the one that's been changed inwardly in your mind to be given a new mind. You're in the spirit, and if the spirit dwells in you, you're in the spirit. But if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And we know what's going to happen. They're going to go about to try to establish a righteousness of their own. They're going to live fleshly in a self-righteous way. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, indeed the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit comes and quickens the elect Based upon the ground established of righteousness by Christ, it unfolds and the Spirit does his job. And spiritual blessings are given to us 
in Christ, because of the work of Christ, because of his righteousness established, enables the Spirit to do his work in us because of the work that Christ did for us. But if the Spirit of one who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and let me just throw one thought out here. Remember Ephesians 1, how we camp out there a lot of times. We'll go through, I think it's like verse 14 through 18. It talks about how that the power that worked in you to believe is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This is what this is talking about right here. The spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That's what made you alive. Not separate from the death of Christ, but in view to the death of Christ. We just weren't regenerated and think, you know, I feel, um, I feel nice. You know, I, I feel better. I'm doing good things. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I love God. I want to hear about this guy, Jesus. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> no. No, the gospel zooms in on, remember the spirit testifies of Christ. The gospel brings us to Christ. And that message comes out and gets a hold of us by the power of the spirit. And it's a spiritual resurrection. That's what circumcision of the heart is. We're spiritually dead and we're resurrected by the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, through the means of this gospel that zooms in on this issue of Christ's righteousness. He came to save sinners. What's a sinner? That's somebody with, that, that needs Christ's righteousness. One who raised up Christ from the dead shall also make your mortal bodies alive by his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brothers, we're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He gave us repentance from that idea. From all those things Paul listed that he was. Tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee, according to the law, thought he was blameless. He didn't know what he was talking about. Neither did the people around him that were in the same religion. They thought, oh, Paul, wow, he's up there. Paul said, no, I'm not up there. That, that was dung. That was crap. And he flushed it. That's the flesh. We're given repentance to flush the flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you shall die. That, that's going back to the administration of death. Administration of condemnation. It says in verse 1 up here, there is therefore no condemnation of those that are in Christ. Because we're not in the flesh. But if you, through the Spirit, mortify or kill the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, remember he's the one that teaches us, testifies of Christ, not himself. They are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's all self-righteous religion does. It brings fear. Fear and doubt. Looking inside. That's that flesh idea. God's the one who gives faith. He doesn't give faith that's messed up that would look to the end. God gives faith to look to the proper object, Christ. So you haven't received the spirit, again, of bondage because that's what you used to be in. You're not, you're not going to receive that. You're going away from that. But you receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Why is that? Do we just feel spiritual? Points us to Christ, our only hope, our only hope. Any comments or questions?